all parents' children are somewhere between here and there. there there's, there's few that are only living in here or only living in there. Most of them are just somewhere in between. But the challenge is for parents to take your children from wherever they're at, close to here, over to there. And, and we mentioned that that would not happen with casual parenting. You're, you're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to be engaged. You're going to have to be, be purposefully doing some things and maybe purposefully doing some different things after this weekend. Um, I tried to sum up the, the, you know, just trying to keep things simple, but I was talking about that, that children really only have one job to do, and that's to learn to obey. And a parent's job is to train them to obey without making them angry. Easier said than done. Um, but but that was that's just just you know some of the things that we talked about. Um, then I, I was talking about the foundation of all parenting. Who remembers what, what I talked about? That the very first thing. What was the foundation of of parenting? Is built on your what with your child, on your relationship with your child. It's not rules. It's not tools. It, it's a relationship. And one of the things I pointed out was the 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 reason why you want to take your child from here to there doesn't revolve around you, but it revolves around the child. Because it is better for the child to learn to live there than to grow up living here. Because you can, misguidingly if you want to, uh, shield your child from all consequences of the first 16, 17, 18 plus years of their life. But what's going to happen when they get their first job with somebody that's not related to them? That's not going to cut them any slack. And they're not going to get it. Mom, Dad, I got fired. Why? I don't know. And so, so it's our job to take them from here to there to train them to, to do that um, for their sake. All right. Um, let me just ask this question. I, I made it to a couple of the tables uh, before we got started. Uh, but here's a question I just want to throw out for those who were here last night. Was there any one thing in particular that just stood out that you would want to share with the people that weren't here last night? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll have an illustration, unfortunately, personal one, of being out of control. If mom and dad's out of control, Children aren't going to be under control. Okay. Anybody else? Actions versus words. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. If you haven't heard this expression, your children can get daddy deaf or mommy deaf. Whichever one uses more words, they can just, they can tune you out. Okay. So, um, what I wanted to talk about tonight, this is actually one of my favorite um, lessons in teaching on parenting, and it's entitled, It's Your Zoo, But It's Not Your Monkey. So, what do I mean by that? Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. In trying to go from here to there, there's you know, multiple different parenting styles that can be used, but there's two in particular that I want to highlight because they, they are what I call being on the ditch on either side of the road. And uh, in your notebooks, uh, if you want to turn to uh, session two, you're going to get to the first film on the blank. Uh, I use those just to try and keep you awake. But the first one is permissive, permissive style of parenting. This is friendship parenting. You're wanting as a parent to be liked, or you're worshiping at the altar of peace. You want things to be peaceful. You want to be liked as a mom or dad. That's a dangerous place to live in. Um, Because the problem is that it doesn't address the here behavior. And the parent ends up being a slave to the child. Now, The desire to do that, it's not an evil desire, but it's simply wanting to make things easy on the child. Okay, it's not good for the child, but it's it's not, there's nothing evil about it. It's just not helpful for the child. Now, the center of the home with a permissive parent is the children. And what it breeds in the children is anger, lack of respect, and rebellion. Because the authority in the home is not worthy of respect. Now, the second style of parenting that I want to talk about is on the opposite side of the ditch. And it's called military parenting. Military parenting. That, in this style of parenting, the parent is the drill sergeant. And the newborn is the next recruit. And I think you can get a picture of, um, of how this goes. It, the, the, the parent just seeks to control the child's behavior. And one of the things that I kind of alluded to last night, and I'll talk about it some more tonight, is there's only one person's behavior that you can control. And it's really the most important person when it comes to parenting your child, and that's you. You can't control your children. Now, you can set up some boundaries and some structure that will encourage them to choose to do right, but you can't necessarily control them. Now, once again, the military-style parent doesn't come from an evil desire. It, it, you know, the desire to protect the child, to prevent the child from making mistakes, but that's part of life is learning. Anybody in the room never made a mistake today? You know, they're great learning tools. And, and so the center of the home with a military parent is, is the parent. 
and the problem with this is that, that it might seem to work for a while when the children are younger, but the older they get, the less it's going to work uh, because it will end up breeding anger and also rebellion. Next film in blank, there is rebellion. And the message that comes in this home is the child has very little value because the child has zero input, cannot talk back, cannot have an idea. The mom or the dad, the military parent is always right. And a third style that I'd like to propose is a balanced style. Balanced parenting that's going to use a combination of words and actions, more actions than words, but a combination. It's going to give um, age-appropriate choices to the children. It is going to use consistent and loving discipline, discipline that doesn't change depending upon your mood or your energy level. That's very confusing to the child. When the discipline changes, when the rules change, when, the, um, when mom or dad are tired or mom and dad are especially happy, uh, it's just very confusing to the children. So you want to, to hold the children accountable for their misbehavior it lets reality be the teacher. Now, the center of the home in the balance isn't either the parent or the child, but it's the training of the child. Fill in the blank there, blank there is training. And what it ends up breeding in the children is contentment. Your children will not verbally tell you this, but they want rules and structure. They also want freedom, and some grace. And it's a delicate balancing act as parents to try and, and walk that very thin line down the middle. Now, I'd like for you to just to, to think about, you know, which parenting style are you closer to? Military, permissive, balanced, and, and then also think about why. You, you could have your parenting style because of your personality. You could have your parenting style because of uh, background, because of uh, life experiences. But realize that, that the parenting style that you're using is there for a reason. It didn't just happen. And it's a choice. And you may be married to somebody that's got a slightly or a largely different parenting style. And that's always the challenge. When mom and dad don't come, to, when, when they don't start off on the same page in, in their parenting styles. And, and I alluded to the fact, or I actually talked about the fact last night that as much as possible, mom and dad need to come up together with their own parenting style something that's a blend of, of the two of them together. Um, military parents, you need to learn, to learn to loosen up. Permissive parents, you need to develop a backbone. Because that's what's better for the child. Now, if your style of parenting isn't working, or is it working as well as you'd like for it to, then I invite you to consider making a change. Consider doing something different. 
Because as I mentioned last night, if you don't change anything in your parenting style, don't expect your children's behavior to change. You're the catalyst. You will start the change in your home or not start the change in the home as, as you choose. It's up to you. And if you're going to succeed from going from here to there, taking your children from here to there, as I said earlier, you're going to have to be proactive. You're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to be working on it. And, and it's a huge responsibility. But I believe that you can do it. And a lot of you are already doing a, a, a pretty good job. In fact, in fact let, me, let me ask you this. When your children are with somebody else, they're in, in uh, daycare, they're in school. The feedback that you're getting from Sunday school teachers, from school teachers, from, from people not related to you is that, wow, I really like your child. Your, your child is, is acting nicely. Okay, when you hear that and you wonder, who are you talking about? Realize this, what you're doing has been working and what you have been endeavoring to instill in your child or your children, it is getting in there. They just save their most relaxed behavior, shall we call it, around home. So if, if you're getting positive feedback about your children out in the community, accept it. The, 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 yes, particularly if you're getting it from multiple sources, okay, that's you're doing a good job. You want to make some tweaks, you want to make changes, that's fine. But, but you can kick yourself too much when it's really not necessarily warranted. Now, once again tonight, I want to try and keep things simple. So tonight, tonight I want to simplify things for you. I want to fire you from a job that's not yours. I want to remove some ineffective tools from your parenting tool belt. I want to remove some ineffective words from your vocabulary, from your parenting vocabulary. And I'm going to replace them with three simple but powerful principles that I'll get to in just a minute. But let's talk about this monkey thing and this Zeus thing. So let me ask this question. The next question, I want to get some feedback from you. Who is responsible for how your child acts? Is it your child, or is it you as the parents? And why do you feel the way that you, you're going to answer? You say the child? Why? Because every person is responsible for themselves. Okay. Any other thoughts? Okay, and why do you say the parents? Until the child is older. Okay. Okay, all right. Okay. Anybody else? Both? Okay. Why do you say that? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I, I've been trying to come up with a better way to word the question, and I haven't been able to because I really agree with all three of your answers. There, there, there's truth in all of that. But ultimately, maybe I'll put it this way, as the child gets older, it is the child's responsibility how they act in the sense that you cannot control them. You can't make your children do anything. Maybe when they're younger, as long as you're bigger and stronger than them, yeah, you, you, you know. But that's not parenting just to force them to do something. But ultimately, to get your child to go from here to there, they're going to have to choose to behave in a certain way. And, and, and if you'll just sort of follow my reasoning on this, uh, I shared this uh, verse out of the, the Bible, out of the book of Proverbs, that even children are known by how, the way they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether it's right. And, and so if, particularly as the children get older, they're responsible for their actions, then I want you to stop trying to be responsible for their actions. Stop trying to keep them from making a mistake. And let them make the choice, and then you respond to whatever choice that they, that they do. Um, if our goal is by the time that they're in their mid to older teens, that they're going to be living here, they're going to be making those choices, then we're going to have to give them the chance along the way to do it on their own or fail on their own and be there while they're still living at home to help them with the, the consequences of their actions. Um, but I believe that it's the parent's responsibility to train the children. That is your zoo. And there are some animals in your zoo. As there were some animals. In fact, I, I affectionately called my children our natives. And some nights the natives would be restless. But it, it is your zoo, the, the responsibility to train your children, but their responsibility is how they're choosing to act, whether they choose to obey or not. And that's their monkey. And when you start taking their monkey, then they don't have to. And what you think might be helping the child ends up not helping them at all. Now, if the parent's responsibility is to train, then as a trainer, when you are giving an instruction, do you give it as an option? When you say uh, to, to one of your, your children, you know, age appropriate, a, a younger child, okay, I'll let you decide what younger is. It's time to go to bed. Is it up for discussion? It shouldn't be. Okay. If that's the case, then why do we as parents state it this way? Johnny, it's time for you to go to bed. Okay. first thing that I want you to remove from your parenting vocabulary is the word okay. It sounds polite. It sounds nice. It sounds gentle. 
and it sends a confusing message to the children. Are you really giving them the option? If they say, no, it's not okay, what is your next response? And if you're going to say, as was just suggested, do it anyway, then don't say okay in the first place. Remove that from your parenting vocabulary because it's just sending an inconsistent message to the child. Now, another thing about the monkey principles and rules, whose job is it to remember the rules? Boy, I got answers all over the place. Let's talk about that for a little bit. You're training the children. You're explaining the rules to them. Do you have trouble remembering the rules? I don't think so. I mean, occasionally we might, but, but I don't think parents have trouble remembering the rules. Do children have trouble remembering the rules? There may be a reason why. Now, whose responsibility is it for them to remember the rules? Is it yours or is it theirs? Pardon? Both. Why do you say both? Young is defined as three. Okay. At, at that age, I wouldn't argue with you. As they get older, okay, okay. As your children get older, you need to transfer the responsibility to them to remember the rules. And it's real easy when you start off with a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old that does need reminding, that is not capable. One of the things we pointed out last night is don't hold your children responsible for what they're not capable of doing. And if they're not capable of it, then no, you wouldn't hold them responsible. But as they get capable, particularly as you hear the older child tell the younger child verbatim the rule of the house, you realize it's not a remembering issue with them. It's a doing issue with them. But what I want you to to work to remove from your parenting vocabulary is remove Reminding. Next fill in blank in your notes there. Remove reminding. Your children will get to an age that they're old enough, they need to start learning to remember the rules, and you will have to set up a structure that encourages them to do it. And a structure that does not encourage them to remember the rules is when you remind them. Seven-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old. At those older ages, if you're reminding the children, your children of the rules, then guess what? They don't have to remember. You're doing it for them. You're taking their monkey. You're taking their job. And they'll let you. If you don't set up a structure to where there's a consequence when they forget a rule that they should have remembered, then they're just off scot-free. 
So, you are fired from the job of reminding your older children of the rules. Now, what are you going to replace it with? Remember the, the example I gave yesterday? Uh, had the principle of say it once, mean it, and walk away? For that to work, and, and, and you can think about applying that in your home, own homes right now. If you went home tonight and said something one time, turned around and walked away, how many of you would expect it to happen? <laughs> exactly. It won't happen automatically, but... If you replace some ineffective parenting with these three simple principles, you can have great success. Principle number one is let reality be the teacher. Do not rescue your children from the consequences, the negative consequences of their bad behavior. They need to experience negative consequences. Children will listen to reality when they stop listening to mom and daddy because they're mommy deaf or daddy deaf. Let me give you an example. I don't know if any of you ever have, have this issue, but when our children were younger, and our children now are ages 24 to 35, but when they were younger, somebody, because none of them ever did it, but somebody would go into their bedrooms and grab their socks and shoes and drop them in the living room. That's literally how it was explained to me. In fact, I was accused of doing it myself. I'd say, whose socks and shoes are, are that in the living room? Those are mine, but I put them away. You put them away and they're there. Who, who, who moved them? I think you did, Dad. And, and so, you know, gee, we, we set a rule. Your socks and shoes, in fact, it was this, the floor is not a storage location. And one time I, I was in such a hurry and upset, I said, the store is not a floorage location. The children thought that was funny. Um, but socks, shoes, shoes, socks, socks, shoes, shoes, socks. And, and the most important thing was my relationship with my children, which was being damaged by socks and shoes where they weren't supposed to be. So um, Peg and I started picking them up and putting them in a box up in our bedroom. We wouldn't say anything. We'd just pick them up. Figured they'll miss them eventually, and they'll need them eventually. And to get them back, they had to buy them back. And it was a dollar an item. I think that was when my children stopped wearing socks. Because <laughs> they could cut their penalty in half. But by just doing something that simple, it, it lightened the tension. It preserved pace of my relationship with our children. It, it let us do something about the irritating issue. Socks and shoes left laying around. And, you know, it never really seemed to bother the children. If they needed it, well, they, they had some, some money saved up. They'd just buy it back. Or uh, when we got to allowance day, allowance day always uh, was centered around the box. 
and you had to buy everything back out of the box before you got your allowance, if there was anything left. And I'd love to say that, that by applying that, that rule that our children stopped leaving their shoes and socks around. Did not happen. It's the, they still kept doing it, but things were, were peaceful because we weren't reminding them about something they kept forgetting. We just let them you know, feel the consequence of it. Example that uh, Kevin Lehman uh, mentioned in his book, as his uh, <clears throat> children got older and they were in their teenage years, they set up a system where one night a week, the, 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 the teenage children cooked the family dinner. And, and just it, it was uh, training them, learning how to, to, to cook and do everything and, and giving mom a, a night off. And, and everybody liked the, the system. There were, there was, it wasn't forced on them. I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, Mom or Dad came up with the original idea, but <clears throat> they, they, they bought into it. It wasn't something they did reluctantly. And, and Kevin got home from work one day and, and he looked at Sandy and he just kind of looked at her because he didn't smell anything. He didn't see anything happening in the kitchen. And Sandy just went. And, and he said, nothing? And she said, nothing. He said, okay, let's go out to eat. So he took Sandy out to dinner at a restaurant with real silverware. It wasn't plastic. To a, to a nice restaurant. What the kids ate that night, they have no idea. They were old enough to be on their own, fend for themselves. They said nothing to the children. Sandy had been home all day. She didn't remind the children. She didn't say anything. She saw it coming. She saw the train wreck coming. She, she saw nothing happening, and she knew what was at the end of that, that train track. When it got to allowance time, in the uh, Lehman family at the end of the week. Their allowances were deducted the amount of the meal that Kevin took Sandy out with. They let reality be the teacher. They didn't take the children's monkey by reminding them of something that they should have at that age certainly been old enough to remember. And that, that's just a couple of examples. With letting reality be the teacher, that's when you can say it once, mean it, turn your back and walk away. Because you can apply some consequences when it doesn't happen. How, how many of you have difficulty getting your children to do their chores? Whatever the, the chores may be, whether it's a daily, weekly, Whatever, Lehman's have a real simple solution for that. Uh, there was a certain set time where the chores needed to be done, and there's a list of who was responsible for what. And they got to that time, and something wasn't done. Then they would just go to one of the other family members and said, "Would you do your sister's um, chore?" And and the answer was, "How much will you pay me?" And mom and the other child will work out a, a, an agreement. And then, so 
they would simply hire one of the other children to do the chore that their sibling was supposed to do. And guess who paid for it? The original child out of their allowance. Once again, it's just letting reality be the teacher, not having to remind the children. And, and you know, when, when they overpay <laughs> for a job that they just forgot to do, it puts the incentive on them to not forget. Now, I want to talk about my pet peeve with parenting. And so if you have been using this tool, do not let me know it. No, I, I'm just teasing about that. But I want you to remove counting from your parenting tool belt. Yes. Now, why would I say that? Because, I'm sorry, what was that? It teaches them to disobey. And actually, really, counting is another form of reminding. Now, when I used to count, and I used to be a counter, and when I got challenged on this, oh, it, it was hard to give up. It, 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 I just, just, you know, and, and, but I realized I was taking my child's monkey. I was trying to help them not forget. I was trying to overhelp them to obey because as soon as you count, see, your children realize this even if you don't. When you start counting, there's no consequences yet. Is that correct? Your children know that even if you don't realize it. Now, before I go any further, let me ask this question. For those of you that, that like to count or that know somebody that likes to count, okay, and it seems to work, what is it that makes it work? When you get to three? The consequence at the end. See, if you stop to think about it, when you start to count, no consequence. Child still has freedom. And if you go from one to two to two and a half, however long you take to get to three, it's free time for your child. Zero consequences. They still don't have to obey. And some of you or some of your friends can get to three and there's still no consequences. But at some point, you're ready to act. And it's the action that your child responds to, not the numbers before the action. And if you can just stop about it, stop think about it for a little bit, and if you, you realize the, the truth in that, then what the parenting skill is, is the action, not the counting. And why not put the action before the one? If the child's old enough to be able to remember, to where they, they, they should be able to remember, 
then you don't need to count for them. And if you ever get to three and then the child acts the way they were supposed to and you don't give them a consequence, you have just taught them that they don't have to remember. They don't have to learn anything about that rule because you'll do it for them. I'm smiling. I like you. But it's just, it's just ineffective. And I, I, I get it. It hurt me when I had to take it out of my tool belt. But it, I just realized eventually that it, it, it wasn't helping my children learn to do it themselves. So, enough said on that. I'd like for you also to remove the next uh, fill in the blank you notes, remove yelling. I am a reformed yeller as a parent. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a great relationship with my wife. She, she, I, I, I explained it this way, and I know it, it's going to come out sounding bad, but when we got married, she was wonderful. She was fully trained, housebroken. She could communicate. She could talk. She would not irritate me. So I had no need to yell at her. It wasn't until my children came along that I found out I was yell, a yeller. I didn't know that before. But when they irritated me, I would yell at them. Because after all, I'm teaching on parenting. They ought to act right. And I would, I would yell at them, but at first I would justify it because I would only do it when they irritated me. I only did it when they disobeyed me. And, and not just the first disobedience, but I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the time after time after time, the, the, and you just explode. And then I had this thought one time, and it was, I really didn't like it when I thought of it. But it went something like this. If I, as the parent, with my 30-plus years of experience in life, could not control myself when I was agitated and aggravated and irritated, then how in the world was I going to be able to train my children to control themselves when they were aggravated, irritated, and acting up? So I thought, I've got, I've got to remove yelling. And I, I used a system that my dad had used with, with something else, and, and I sat my children down, and I said, said uh, okay, kids, you know, you, you know, daddy's been yelling at you some, and yeah, they, they were aware of that. And, and I said, uh, you guys probably don't like it. And no, we, we agreed that, that none of us liked it. And so I said, okay, from now on, every time I yell at any one of you, whoever I yell at, I will give a dollar. Oh, their eyes lit up. And, and they said, really? I said, really? I will, because... Um, I'm frugal enough that hit me in my pocketbook and, and, and it, it's likely to make a, a behavior change on my part. <clears throat> so uh, I, I did that. And 
I'd like to be able to say that I immediately stopped yelling. But I didn't. Because I was still yelling, but only when I was irritated. But gosh, that sounds an awful lot like what it, where I was at when I started the whole thing. And it wasn't until I just decided, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to replace it with, but I am absolutely just going to remove yelling. That option is off the table. I am not going to yell no matter how irritated I get. And it was when I finally made that decision that I think it only cost me less than $5 after that. And, and some of you might be wondering, did my children ever intentionally misbehave in order to get a few bucks out of me? If they ever did it, they got away with it because I never, I never caught them doing it. And I even asked them later on, and, and, and I could tell, it, I think, by the looks on their face, they were trying to think of a time, and I don't think any of them did. They really didn't like it when I was yelling at them. And it wasn't about the money, but it was about me respecting them and treating them w- with respect. So um, if, if you're a yeller, I encourage you to do something to change that. Now, my wife didn't have that problem. Did she ever yell at children? Yes, occasionally, much less than I did. But after I said that to them and a few times that she yelled at them, they tried to get money out of her. She said, I never told you I'd do that. (laughs) So remove yelling and you can replace it with letting reality be the teacher. Uh, The same way, remove threatening. Replace it with action. Uh, Your children don't believe your threats anyway. You're grounded till the end of the school year. I'm never going to sign for your driver's license. Really? Do you really mean what you say when you're threatening them? And if you know you're not, you know you don't mean it, they know you don't mean it. So once again, it's ineffective, and that's something that you should remove from your tool belt. Now, I'd like to, to, to share a, a story about one of our, our children, and particularly address those of you that are close to a military-style parenting. And, and here's what I mean by that. When I say let reality be the teacher, that still needs to be taken in the context of the most important thing is your relationship with your child. For example, a number three son, 17-year-old child, very well-behaved, now, he was a lawyer in the family, still is a lawyer in the family, loved to argue. He, w- he would argue with mom and I about anything that he wanted to just for his entertainment. Um, but he didn't intentionally break the rules. He, he, was, he, he was good in school as far as his behavior, how he treated people, respectful to adults and whatnot. So he was not a problem child. Uh, the end of his uh, junior year of school, um, the physics class that he was in, um, every year they go to uh, Cedar Point. Familiar with Cedar Point Amusement Park in Sandusky, Ohio? Okay, so <clears throat> um, at that time I had a, a clunker car that the uh, 
a couple of my children use for, for the jobs that they're getting to. So he was able to drive himself to school. And he was up early, because he's an early riser, and, and just moseying around. I said, don't you have to go to school? So no, we don't have to be there till 8.15. That's, that's when we have to be there for, to, to get on the bus to go to Cedar Point. I said, okay. You know, I, I, I didn't know that. That was his responsibility. So he, he left about five minutes after 8. And about 8.17, gave me a call. I could hear tears in his voice. He said, Dad, as I was driving up to the school, the school bus passed me. I said, what happened? He said, I, I went into the office and I got the, uh, the cell phone number of the teacher and I called him. And he said, Dan, I, I don't know what, what you were thinking. Uh, I said, we were going to leave at 8.15. Dan said, oh, and I, I, I heard be there at 8.15. Um, look, you're, you're just two minutes down the road. Can, can I, you know, drive up, get, get ahead of you, and you guys pull over and stop and wait for me? The teacher said, no. No, I, t- I told you when to be there. He was letting reality be, be the teacher. No argument with, with the teacher on, on that. And, and so he, as he was explaining this to me, the one ray of hope he had, and, and he really didn't even think this was much of a ray of hope. He said, Dad, the only thing he said was that if I could get down there, that he would let me ride back with the rest of the class on, on the school bus. Is, is there any way that maybe you could take me down there? And that's literally how it, it came out. He, he was, he had maybe a 2% thought that, that that might actually happen. And so in my mind, you know how you can think, and then you can say something, and, and you can have five minutes of thoughts in five seconds? And I went through everything. I thought about the context of, okay, what is his normal behavior like? He's not a problem child. He's a good child. What is his responsibility level as far as being on time. He, he, he was a responsible child. He, it, it, I never had to worry about getting him up for school, getting him to school on time, getting him to, to places on time, work on time. He, he was very responsible. And I thought his actions were irresponsible, but it didn't come out of a basic nature of irresponsibility. So there wasn't any reason for me to let reality be the teacher to, as a training tool. So he cleared that hurdle. The next hurdle was, could I do it? Could, did I actually have time? Because it, it's about a three-hour, 15-minute drive from our house to Cedar Point, so that's six and a half hours round trip. And at that time, I was uh, pastoring a, a startup church, which was small enough that I didn't have a whole lot of work on any specific given time. I was also doing real estate to help augment the income from a new startup church, and I didn't have any uh, appointments with either business. And the next thing that I had to do was pick up my daughter from school, about 3.15, about somewhere between six and a half and seven hours from then. And I said, tell you what, Dan, I can do it. Shocked him completely. 
Now, if I had just gone by the letter of the law, let reality be the teacher, I would have been fully justified in saying no. And I don't think he would have held it against me. And it, especially if I had said, you know what, I, I've, got a, uh, I've got a real estate appointment at 1 o'clock today. I, I can't do it. He would have understood. Been disappointed, but he would have understood. But because he was able to, to, to clear all the hurdles, none of which was he aware of because I was just going through that in my mind, I went ahead and, and took him down there. Had, trust me, he was in a great mood on the drive down there. And we had three hours and 15 minutes of great fellowship, good time together. Um, I have heard him talk about that many times since then. It really made an impact on him that I was willing to, to do that for him. He, he saw it as grace, not something that he had earned or deserved. Um, and so when I do say let reality be the teacher, use that tool, but don't use it above relationship. And, and particularly I said, you know, this to the military parents, there's times that you need to loosen up. And there's times that you need to lighten up. And, and part of that is just taking into to consideration the context of the child's behavior. How is he normally, how does she normally act? Is this something that's been repetitive? <laughs> Let reality be the teacher. But if it's out of the ordinary, if it's not normal, then if you can at times be willing to give some grace. Okay, second thing, second principle is learn to respond, not react. What do I mean by that? When you take prescription medication, you want your body to respond to the medication. You don't want it to react to the medication. Okay? We can do the same things with relationships. And that's not just parent-child relationship. This can be a husband-wife relationship. It can be a boss-employee relationship. It can be parent-child. Any relationship, if there's a problem, you want the solution that you bring to the problem to help the problem, not make it worse. Anytime you react, what you're doing is you're not solving the original problem. You're actually introducing a second problem. And very rarely do you ever get back to the original problem when you react. Reactions, yelling, counting, threatening. Those are all reactions. I I, I like what you're saying, that, that as a parent, you need to maintain your cool, at least on the outside. You can be feeling whatever you're feeling on the inside, but on the outside, you know, it's like when I decided I had to remove yelling from my parenting tool belt. I had to replace it with something else. And as I did that, I found out that I could actually address the original issue much more effectively when I kept myself under control. So learn to respond, not to react. Um, your child wants to go on a, an expensive vacation and things are tight and things are tight financially, you're frustrated. I, I, I would get that. You're frustrated because you, you're doing everything you can to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head, and the child's talking about wanting to go to Florida. And, yeah, you'd like to go to Florida, but you just, the money's just not there. 
but don't blow up at the child. Ask him, why do you want to go to Florida? Well, Joey, down the street, he just got back from Florida, and he's been talking about it nonstop. Is there anything wrong with your child's desire to want to go to Florida? No. And and if you can identify the feeling, I bet you're kind of frustrated that we don't have the money to go to Florida. Yeah. I said, well, you know what? Mom's frustrated too. I don't blame you for feeling that way. I feel the same way. I'd love to go to Florida, but... You know, we just, we just can't. And when you can take a child that's upset, and, and you can use this principle with any time that, that they get out of control. If you don't react, if you respond to it, if you investigate and try to find, okay, what is my child feeling right now? What is irritating him? What is irritating her? Why is she so upset? What's bothering him? And, and, and you can, can do some detective work and ask some questions and try and find out why your child is so angst-ridden. And then probably most of the time their feelings are going to make sense. They were upset about something that happened at school, frustrated about something that they're, uh, something they're trying to do that they, they haven't been able to succeed at, whatever it might be. If you can say to your child, well, I understand why you would feel that way. You're not crazy for feeling that way. That makes sense that you would feel frustrated, tired, angry, disappointed, mad, whatever it might be. And then simply say, but your feelings are valid. And we we, we told our children many, many, many times, uh, you're free to feel whatever you want to. You're free to have whatever opinion you want to. You can think whatever you want to think about your mom and me. However, you are responsible for what you say. You are responsible for how you act when you are upset. You validate the feeling. It lets the child know, okay, I'm normal. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing, you know, I'm not wrong to feel that way. And when you can communicate that, that's a powerful message. And what is wrong isn't them feeling that way. What's wrong is how they acted when they felt that way. So divide those two. Validate the one and challenge the other. Challenge the action. That's a way to respond rather than react. Third principle, B doesn't happen until A is finished. I think this one is Dr. Lehman's favorite because he talks about it a lot in his book. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's really quite simple. If you've asked a child to do something, if it's their responsibility to do something, they don't do anything else 
once you get past the, the time deadline, until A is done, no matter what B is. And the thing that's so powerful about this tool is that B always happens. We had a question last night about what about the child that just doesn't seem to care about any consequences? Oh, okay, I can't do that. Fine, I don't want to anyway. Oh, I got to sit in a chair for a timeout? Bring it on. That child at some time down the road will need B. And B doesn't happen until A is finished. Now, you've got your children, it seems like forever. 18 years, 19, 20 years seems like forever. And I won't argue with you on that. You got plenty of time to instill discipline in them, to train them, to bring them from here to there. You don't have to hammer them with a consequence immediately. Eventually, B is going to get there. And when it does, that's when they'll see the significance of doing A. And, and it, it's, it's, you know, no more reminding them. Uh, here, here's the way that we put this principle in, into practice. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit later. One of the tools we had was, was TV tickets. Um, but if our children were watching TV, it was assumed, because of one of our rules, that everything they needed to do before that was already done. It was, if it was a weekday evening, their homework was all done. If it was a Saturday, their workday chores were all done. Now, we wouldn't remind them about the homework. We wouldn't remind them about the workday chores. But if they were watching TV, we'd simply ask them, do you have the freedom to do that? And our kids got to where they didn't like that expression. So we just simplified it. Are you able to do that? And what that meant simply was that was our code word for have you done everything that you've been responsible for to where you're able to do this? Have you done all the requirements to where you're now on uh, freedom time, your own time? And then who would go through the checklist in their mind? Our children would. We wouldn't remind them. Our children would think about, oh, yeah, okay, I'll be back. And, and the, the consequence was, well, okay, the, the TV went off. And when they came back, they had already lost the TV ticket and they couldn't watch the, the show because they were watching it illegally. Again, we didn't have to remind them, but B doesn't happen until A is completed. Um, it is a great tool, a great principle to put into practice to where we didn't have to remind our children. We put the responsibility on them. That was their monkey. Yes, they were monkeys living in our zoo, and we were responsible to train them, but they were the ones that we wanted to train to remember to do the, the tools. Okay. Um, so let's, let's shift gears now and start talking about some tools, some other tools that, that Peg and I put into practice. The, the first one that I want to talk about, and I mentioned this last night that I was going to talk about it tonight, is timeout. Timeout. And this particularly works with, with younger children. Um, and, and 
the, the, the timeout, the way that, that, that I would work it, or the, the Peg and I would work it, is quite simple. That uh, if they were, if their behavior was out of control, if they were doing something that, that, if they asked to be put in timeout, is the way I'd explain it. Oh, you just asked to be put in timeout. And, and so I'd, I'd put a chair somewhere where they could see the timer and away from anything that they could touch. So it would be like, that would be a perfect spot if there was a timer in front of them. And then uh, I'd set the timer for one minute for every year of their age. And said, when the timer goes off, I'm going to ask you what you did wrong, and I want you to tell me. And then the other thing that we would have them do is take your hands, fold them, and put them in your lap. That one, that's really a tool within a tool, getting your child to fold his hands and put him in, in their lap, his lap or her lap. I, do, I don't know that I can explain it, but there's something powerful when they can control their hands in their lap, they're able to control a lot of other things as well. And so uh, j- just to demonstrate this in, in action, um, I was babysitting uh, two of my grandchildren one time, and they were five and three. And the three-year-old was out of control. Now, I liked being a papa, but I was watching him, and so I was more of a parent than a papa at that time. And so I I said, uh, Jake, I'm going to have to put you in timeout. What's that? I said, well, you just need to sit in the chair. I'm going to set the timer for three minutes. And when the timer goes off, we'll talk about what you were doing wrong. And I set the timer, and then I just walked away. Well, I walked away behind him to watch him. He lasted about 30 seconds. I said, Jake, you got to sit down. Went back to the timer, stopped it, reset it for three minutes, hit the start button, said, you have to sit there. We eventually did get through three minutes of him sitting in the chair. It took 30 minutes for that to happen. But I didn't yell at him, didn't shame him, didn't get upset with him. I just kept starting the timer over. And sometimes he'd lay down. Well, laying down is not sitting, so I'd start the timer over. And it was interesting. About an hour later, he got out of control again. Jake. You made me put the, you made me put you in timeout again. He went right to the chair and sat down. I set the timer. It took about five minutes this time. Now that's a child, that's a three-year-old child that, that's pretty much all boy that had, I mean, I was introducing this to him. He, he had never, you know, his mom and dad, even though his dad grew up in our home, they, they're using different parenting tools. And he caught on pretty talk on quickly. But the idea is simply you train them to choose to control themselves. And, and, and that's just the, um, the, the, the beauty of it is that um, it doesn't take long for them to catch on. All you have to do is, is just go up to the timer and start it over again. 
And, and if you have the child that's, well, that's okay, I don't want to do anything anyway, well, then they're going to be done in three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. But the thing about it is I like as much as possible for, for consequences to be short. They've got a start time, they've got an end time, then they're done. Um, Peg, I'm going to do the interrupt rule next, if you could give me a hand with that. Um, next tool I'm going to talk about is the interrupt tool. This is actually one of our children's favorites, uh, and it was one of mom and dad's favorites also. Uh, how many of you know how irritating it can be when children come up to you, mommy, 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 and, and you're, you're talking with somebody? Okay, well, the interrupt rule is simply just what, what Peg did. If she wanted to interrupt what I'm doing right now, she just comes up, puts her hand on my uh, arm, and I put my hand over hers to let her know that I know that, that it's coming. So if you'll excuse me just for a minute. Yes, dear. Oh, I love you too. Children love the interrupt rule. And, and let me tell you a secret. It really looks good in public for you. When you're talking with somebody, your child comes up to you and just puts a hand on you. You put your hand on, on theirs, and, and it's as quickly as you can. You say, excuse me, just a minute. Turn to your child. It values them. It teaches them to value and respect you. And, and it's just a, a, it's a wonderful tool. It's a great uh, helping tool. And because it's something new, you'll have to explain it to them. You have to teach them how to do it. And should there be consequences if they forget? Well, yeah. Uh, and you can work on that. Just come up with something that, that's let reality be, be the teacher. But if you can train your children to do that, it gives them a voice. It gives them something to do when they want to tell you something that to their five-year-old, seven-year-old mind is critically important. I mean, absolutely important. And if you can model this in, in front of them, um, I, I'll do it with Peg all the time if she's in, in a group talking and I want to ask her something, I'll come up and just put my hand on her arm. And if I'm just coming up to enter the conversation, then I'll just come up and enter the conversation. I'll just, just stand there, may put my arm around her or on her shoulder or something, but the hand on the arm, that, that's our sign that, hey, there's something I want to ask you or I want to tell you. And I'll, we'll use it even now as our grown children out of the house just as, as a, uh, it's a very respectful way to uh, interrupt. Okay, last thing I want to talk about tool-wise tonight is, I uh, alluded to this earlier, talk about TV tickets. Um, and, and this can be any form of electronic entertainment. Um, you as the parent need to set the rules. You need to set the guidelines. You need to put limits on the amount of time that your children can participate in those activities. And, and, and so, you know, we just had X number of tickets uh, and you can decide how many to do and, and how long they're good for and what has to happen before they can use it. But it's just you maintaining the authority in the home, you setting the structure, you setting the rules. And, and we had literal tickets. Our children did not like them. And they really didn't mind the tickets. What they didn't like was the restrictions. 
but it taught them that you need to make some choices. And life isn't about you doing everything you want to do electronically. So um, let me just make sure that I have covered everything I have. So let me open it up for some Q&A time. Any questions from the group for tonight? Okay, it's a great question. What do you do if when you ask them if they're able to do that and they give the correct answer, but it's incorrect? Okay, basically your child has just lied to you. And so whatever you would normally do as a consequence for lying may not be a capital offense, but it's close to it. Yeah, that... that you would, you would want to make life unpleasant for them in that circumstance. In love with a smile on your face. Question over here. What age did we start tickets at? Can you help me out on that? I taped an envelope on the side of the, the TV, and I made little cardboard TV tickets. I made them real cute. And for every half hour he went out to play, he got a TV ticket. Or he went to do something else constructive, play with his Legos or something like that. I was trying to get him to do something. And then the other kids just kind of followed in line. But, yeah, I think it was about five. And as Peg mentioned, that was just our response to realizing he's just vegging in front of the TV. Next question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, yeah. We, we got into that as, as they got older. What about... Um, you know, the older one or any one of the children is using a legal TV ticket and someone is mooching off of their time. Um, the rules that have to be, you're, so you're using your TV ticket? Uh, I'm out of them. Get out of here. You just kick them out. You know, if, it, 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 you know whatever consequence for illegal TV watching or illegal electronic entertainment, that would just need to be enforced. What else? How do you balance reminding with a special needs child? Excellent, excellent question. Were you here last night? Okay. I'm kind of going to repeat a little bit of what I said last night. But I, I think the principle fits is that as much as they're able to do, you hold them accountable for. 
but you don't hold them accountable for what they're not able to do. So I don't know, is it just one special needs child? Do you have several? Okay. 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 All right. Because sometimes, you know, you, family is blessed with more than one, and, and then it's, each, but each child is different, even whether they're special needs or not. But I, I would, and deciding what they're able to do and what they're not able to do, I'll admit, boy, that, that, that's a toughie. Um, but I, I still think that as much as they're able to, hold them responsible for that, but not what they're not able to, if that helps any. Okay, okay. It, it's, it, it's tough. There, there, there aren't any easy answers for, for your situation. Bless you. So, so what, if what I'm hearing you ask is, if you try and set up the, the B doesn't happen until A is finished principle, knowing that your children are going to forget a lot in the beginning and just get frustrated, how do you set it up and them not get frustrated with the system? Okay. Um, I guess I would look at it this way. Um, they're not frustrated with the system. They ought to be frustrated with themselves. As long as they're old enough to be able to know. You know, if, if they're old enough to know, then, yeah, they just, they, they need to be trained. Um, but I, if they get frustrated... I would agree with their frustration. Yeah, and and say you know they're they're frustrated that they can't go to uh, to Sam's house because he did. I said I say, dang. I said why did you make it so that I can't take you to Sam's house? I, I mean I, I literally would. I, I I've said things like that to my children. Why are you making me discipline you? And they look at me like, but I, I, the principle was you, it's your actions that's bringing this reality. It's not, not, I'm not choosing to, I'd rather not. But, and so that, that's how I'd look at it. I'd, I'd turn it around. I'd put it on them because that's really where, where the blame is. And if you're consistent with that, be surprised how quickly they catch on and stop forgetting because reality is a, it's a great teacher. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I believe you can come up with a way of handling that. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, 
you know, just give them a, a code word. If they're old enough to be able to, you know, you need to interrupt mommy and, and you're having a conversation with, with somebody else or I guess it's okay to talk on the phone while you're, while you're driving there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just, just give them a word. California pizza. There's two words. It just, it just a phrase. And you can say, okay, I know, you, I know you got something. Just a minute. That's a great question. I never thought about that one before. Okay. Um, what I think is an appropriate amount of screen time has zero merit in your family. <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, this a little bit tomorrow morning as far as choices with especially uh, cell phones. How many of you have children that have cell phones? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that some. But as far as electronic entertainment... Um, that's just something for, for you, you know, mom and dad to decide. Um, now, we, uh, we started putting limits on, on TV watching, which as they got older soon morphed into, um, you know, computer time and, and whatnot. Um, and I don't know, our, our kids at different times thought we were the most restrictive parents in the world. Uh, meanest parents in the world. Uh, we never once bought them a single video game system, video game cartridge uh, at all. And yet they had every one of them. And what they ended up doing as they got older was they would pull their money and buy whatever the latest machine was and, and a couple of cartridges. And nine months later, they'd take it back to the same store, sell it, buy the next one, buy a couple more game cartridges. And, and, and we kind of thought, well, you know, they're acting responsibly. They're, you know, and, and so, you know, every Christmas, should we get a game cartridge this year? Nah. Um, but, yeah, it's a toughie. One of the things that we had was uh, um, there were no computers in individual bedrooms. Computers had to be out in a, uh, uh, in fact, there are no TVs in any of our children's bedrooms. Although they had a fit when mom and dad put a TV in their bedroom. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's something that needs to be monitored and needs to be, uh, you're the parent, you decide, you set the guidelines and, uh, and enforce them. Excellent question. Um, as our children were getting older and, and my wife and I were having the discussion about allowances, she grew up in a non-allowance home. And, and, and she ended in the discussion, why in the world were you paying them just to breathe? Because <laughs> we, we agreed we didn't want to pay them to clean. We didn't want to pay them to, to do stuff that they were just supposed to do to help out around the house. So we agreed we didn't want to tie it to, to chores. 
but we ended up deciding that there was enough good in them having some money to make choices about what to do with it that we would introduce it. And, and as we introduced allowances, um, it was, you know, okay, here was a, a portion of it that was going to go to the offering at church that tithe and a portion of it that, that was going to go into them saving for a toy they wanted. And there was a portion that was going to go into long-term savings, called short-term savings. Long-term, and the rest they could spend whenever they wanted to. So we're just kind of trying to train them in, in handling of, of money. But the workday chores was, was something that um, uh, we instituted at a, at a time when Peg was working full-time out of the house. I was just... Um, and I was there more on Saturdays when the, the children were home. And so um, I ended up being the uh, supervisor of cleaning the house. And the pushback that we got from our children on, on workday chores or help clean around the house was they didn't think that they should do it. So I asked them, okay, well, if you're not going to do it, then who do you think should do it? Well, they knew better than to say dad because dad was right there in front of them. They knew that wouldn't go over. So they made a worse choice and they said mom. And so I said, so, so what I'm hearing you say was, and this is a great tool, works with, with any relationship. When somebody says something dumb to you, just repeat it back. So what I heard you say was that you think that After working 40 to 50 hours a week, coming home, cooking all the meals that mom cooks. You remember what you ate this week that mom cooked? And you want her also to be responsible for cleaning the house? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, No, daddy, that's not what we're saying. (laughs) But we we would just... um, uh, I'd, I'd put down however, however many children there were, just divide up the, the zones of the home, you know, vacuuming the living room, uh, mopping the kitchen floor, whatever it might be. Um, I'd just put enough for each one of them to grab three and let them pick and choose. And, and they'd, they'd pick them in different orders. And then... Usually three out of the four would just go off and start doing them. My lawyer would argue with me. And oftentimes, three hours later, he was still arguing with me. And, and I finally, I, I just say, you know what? If you had already put one half of the energy into doing your workday chores that you spent arguing with me for the last three hours, you'd be done. And then I turned around and walked away. Uh, he eventually would do them. We very rarely, I don't think we ever had to hire one of our other children to do one of the other chores, uh, other children's chores. But um, it was a struggle at times. And, and if, as they were, the younger they were, then, then I would work with them on the job. The, and so I'd be able to try and set the standard. Okay. 
Okay. If you find something that works, it's gold. Okay, anything else? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. And, and start it as early as you can, but each, each child is different. You know, okay, how many children do you have? Okay. Uh, did they all start walking at the same age? Did they all start talking at the same age? It, it's going to vary from child to child. Uh, a couple other things real quickly that, that we did. Um, Peg decided um, early on that she wasn't going to be a laundry maid. So when our oldest turned six, she got a step stool, put it in front of the, uh, the washing machine, told him to bring his clothes upstairs and taught him how to do laundry. And so from as, as, and boy, he watched like an eagle hawk to make sure that when his younger brother turned six, that he was doing his laundry. Uh, and trust me, he was. Um, but we just, you know, trained them to do it. Uh, we, we trained our children to make their own school lunches. That way they, they weren't hitting us up for money. Oh, you want to buy a school lunch? Go ahead. I don't have any money. Then you better make one. But we had to train them, so we had to supervise so that what went in there wasn't just junk. Of course, there wasn't a whole lot of junk food in the house, and that made it hard for them to eat junk food if we didn't buy it. Okay, any other questions? Yeah, nothing wrong with, with letting them know ahead of time what the consequence is. You know, here's the expected behavior. Here's the consequence if you choose not to. Good night. And depending upon the child and, and you know, night fears or whatnot, you know, you know when you're ready to leave and they're ready to, to choose. But with anything, yeah, there's nothing wrong with just setting the the boundaries. Here's the rule. Here's the the consequence if you violate it. The the only problem with pre-announcing the the consequence is... the same thing is not going to motivate each child. And what works one week with one child, the next week they decide to change their mind. And that doesn't bother them anymore. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with stating that, but you might find that the consequence doesn't bother them, in which case you can just restate it. Um, you know what? We're going to change things up. This is still the rule, but... Should you choose to violate it, 
we'll, I'll decide at that time what the consequence will be. And, and tailor it specifically to the, to the child. And, and when they complain about a consequence, write that down. They just gave you some parenting leverage. Use it as long as it lasts. Because eventually they'll catch on and, and, and decide to not let that bother them anymore. Now, if they're complaining about the process, that's when you want to listen to them and reevaluate. Just complaining about the consequence? No. Mm -mm. That's gold when they tell you that. Because you, you all of a sudden you found something that you can use as leverage. Uh, but if they're complaining about the process, you need to at least listen to them to make sure that you're being fair. Children have a great sense of what fairness is, even if they don't apply it in their own lives. They want mom and dad to be fair. Okay, any other questions tonight? Yes. Okay. Sure, okay. So, so what, what would be the consequence for not following the interrupt rule properly? Can you think of anything? Because we rarely had it misused or, or not used properly. At, at times, the younger they were, yeah, we would need to remind them. But don't tell anybody that I said that. As young as we could, like two or three, and all you do is bend down. If they're talking, you just do this. And we're watching our children train our grandchildren with the interrupt rule, and it is so much fun. So they just bend down, and they put their hand, and they keep talking, and then they go like this, and they keep talking until they stop. But they, they hold their hand on their arm. And then Dan, our, our lawyer, is, is the one. And then he'll say, oh, oh, excuse me. Thank you, Nora. What, what do you need? You know, and it's so much fun to watch, and they get it, and they make it fun for, for their child. So the interrupt rule is an amazing tool. So start to use that with your children, and you're gonna, people are going to be so impressed that you have such obedient children. So I think the principle there that Peg was saying, that, that realize that some of the time you're still in the training process. Um, but as far as... Um, a consequence if they're been trained in enough and that they should know better. It, that, I think, would be pretty simple. They're interrupting to ask you something. And it's real easy to say, oh, see, I can't do that because you didn't, uh, because you interrupted me. That, that'll, that'll give them incentive really pretty quickly. Okay? Super. You want to close up tonight? All right. Awesome. Thank you very much for all that. It was helpful. Uh, we'll meet back here tomorrow at 845. You can check your kids in, and we will have donuts and muffins and coffee, so come ready for that. And if you go to the gym to pick up your kids and they aren't there, they might be at the pool. So they had to be in one of those two places. So. 
they're not at the gym, they're at the pool, and you can find them there, all right? We'll see you guys back here tomorrow morning. Thanks.